0: Well, time flies when you're having fun. So, um, there's about 30 minutes left in our service. Uh, so, I want to try to be a good story of that. But we're probably going to go over a little bit today. I'm just going to go ahead and be straight up with you. Um, and so, I really feel like we need to spend some time in the Word. And so, if you do have to leave for some reason, um, I'm not planning on going to like 11, but just a couple of minutes over. If you need to go, go. Um, but we're going to still spend time in this. So um, before we go into the word, though, I want to give you one more thing that, that's going on. And we've got a diagram, I believe, in the back that I'm going to ask the guys back there to put up um, for us. I think they've got it. But basically, before the pandemic hit, we were doing really well um, as far as volunteers. We were, we were making it uh, pretty good, and, and we had plenty of people who were helping Uh, When this happened, it's been an interesting thing in church world because you don't even really know who goes to church here anymore, you know? And so you see some of the faces coming back, but there's still a lot that are online. And so we realize this and um, and we know like uh, that people are still in transition. But as we're transitioning back into having services and offering children's ministry, um, there are needs. And so I'm asking you this morning to pray about the possibility of serving in in some area in the church, whether it's um, a parking lot, greeting, kids, youth, whatever that is, um, pray about that and see. I wanted to show you this diagram because this is kind of how the Lord showed me this in the beginning, is that Sunday morning kind of operates like a big opening to the top of a funnel. And you have all different types of people who come in. And, and as they come in, they go through um, different areas of ministry that the Lord uses to help shape them and mold them. So you have our groups, things like Connect Groups. You have Connection Kids, where um, the children are poured into. You have students. You've got uh, where where these students are learning about Jesus. They're learning to own their own faith. To take. Um, ownership of their faith you've got all these different ways that that God uses things to begin to shape and mold people that the goal of that being at the bottom of the funnel we come out as equipped people either equipped to equip others or equipped to be set apart and sent out to go and and um, plant churches and so um, when you look at this I want you to understand something that when you're serving in kids, I see a bunch of orange shirts in here. Let's, thank you for what you do, because hey, you can clap because they, uh, they do a lot. Um, when you're serving in kids, you're, you're not just like taking care of babies, right? You're pouring into the next generation of believers. And Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. We know that's not gonna happen because Jesus is going to build his church but we're preparing that next generation. The majority of that should happen at home, but we want to supplement what they're getting. You know, you, you are parking cars and stuff. We look at it, we're like parking cars, like, well, whoop-dee-doo, but listen, when people pull onto this property, they need to know they're welcome. They need to begin to know that they are welcome and that they experience the love of God from the moment they pull into the parking lot to the moment they walk in a door to the moment they hear the first song. And when you're, you're there greeting, it may seem like a very um, non-essential task, but you're not there and we can't say really shaking hands, but waving, fist bumping maybe. You're not just there to do that, but but we're literally beginning to tear down walls in people's lives so they can come in and for the first time, many of them can experience the reality of God and his presence. And so that's part of what Sunday morning is for, is for people who come in and maybe they've been religious all their life, but they've never really experienced the reality of God's love. And you know, one of the ways that people experience God's love is through us so I want you to pray about that, where might God have you jump in? I believe in the back, back there on the board behind the next steps area. Um, it shows the number of volunteers needed to do what God's called us to do in this part of the ministry. Now there's still tons of ministry that happens out there. But we want people to know the love of God, the power of God when they come in here. So I want to encourage you um, to pray about that. Maybe go to the next step table and and ask for some more details, things like that. So um, just be praying about that and see where the Lord might have you step up and be a part of what God's doing here. All right, so let's go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be here today um, and... uh, We're in this series called To Be Continued. We've been looking at how the works that Jesus began to do and teach, which were recorded in the Gospels. Um, Now we're looking at the book of Acts that uh, a man by the name of Luke is writing. And he wrote it so that he could tell us about the works that Jesus continued to do after um, his death and burial, resurrection and ascension to heaven. And we know that this is continued. Jesus' work is continued by the Holy Spirit through his people. Kind of one of the things we've been saying consistently through this. Jesus' movement, Jesus' work is continued by the Holy Spirit through his people. And so we're continuing to look at that. Today is really important because we're going to read about when the Holy Spirit... Came. We've looked at how Jesus promised us that He would send the Spirit, and, and when He ascended, He promised that He wouldn't leave us as orphans, but He would send another, another just like Him, but not Him—the Spirit of God, who wouldn't just live with us, but would dwell in us. And so we're looking at that today in Acts chapter two, um, verse one through thirteen is where we're going to stop today. So let's read that. It says, "When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind." came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they're doing what Jesus told them to do. They're waiting in Jerusalem until they receive power from on high to go and be his witnesses in all the world. Suddenly it's not like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because one heard their own langu- each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans?" Galileans were seen as uneducated, kind of like um, the lower of the low in, in, the stat- in, in, in status in the, that people group, and so um, they're amazed. Like, how do they know these languages? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So they're literally worshiping, they're praising God, but out of their mouth are coming languages that these people understand speaking in their language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. How many of you, um, you probably still do this. How many of y'all get really excited at Christmas time because you know you're like gonna get a present or something like that? Anybody still get real excited? You're grown, but you still get real excited? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I understand that. I see that with my children. When I was little, Um, and it was Christmas or my birthday, or maybe we were going on a trip. Like uh, we we used to go to Six Flags a good bit when I was little and I'd know like me and my cousins were gonna go to Six Flags the next day. I would anticipate this with so much excitement and and get so worked up about it that I literally would get sick every time. Like I'm talking about like nauseated, like getting sick, like so excited. I'd work myself up and eh? you know what I mean? It's like, woo, you know, it's coming. and, and just all this anticipation built up and, and, um, and so I I would just really, really, really get excited about that. And I'm sure some of you can relate to that kind of thing. You know, when uh, it seemed like back then days went by so slow because you were waiting on this, this day, this moment, this time. And now it seems like, You know, you wake up on Monday and then it's Sunday again. You know what I mean? It just goes by really fast. But there was that anticipation. There was this waiting. Um, And when we look at the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came... These disciples are in this upper room and they're praying, they're anticipating, they're waiting. There's something that they know is going to happen, but they don't really know yet what that is going to be like. They know that Jesus promised the Spirit, but they don't know exactly what is about to happen. Um, So when we look at the day of Pentecost, it's this moment in history that not just what Jesus had promised, but what the Father, God the Father had promised from the beginning of time. That there would come a day when the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, would be given to man. And it would be a, a moment in time where His presence would d- dwell with us, in us, in a different way than it ever had before. And now these disciples, these, these, these men and women, are waiting, anticipating this day of Pentecost. Now Pentecost, literally, it means 50 It speaks to 50 days. It speaks to 50 days from the Passover, which is when Jesus was crucified, when he was buried and when he rose from the dead, 50 days from Passover to the day of Pentecost. Pentecost in the Old Testament was also called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. It was a, a feast where they celebrated the grain harvest. And so when we think about Pentecost, it's not just a name that Luke made up. It has Old Testament meaning. Way back in the Old Testament, it was spoken of. You can go read about. It. I believe it's in Leviticus 23, maybe, um, is where it talks about the, this this offering that was made, this festival. And so when we think about Pentecost, we're thinking about the coming of this moment. Jesus is, is, is crucified for our sin. He takes our sin upon him. He takes the wrath of God upon himself. And so he's crucified, dead, and buried. Fifty days later, um, the Holy Spirit comes. Um, and, and so this is uh, what is meant by when the day of Pentecost came. And so that seems kind of like random Like why the day of Pentecost? Why would the day of Pentecost be the day that the Spirit came? There's so much in these verses, we're not gonna be able to cover it all today, but we're gonna try to drop back and catch some of this stuff next week as we move forward. But today I want you to understand that as we look at the day of Pentecost, in the Old Testament it had two purposes. It was one, a historical purpose. It was associated with Mount Sinai and the giving of the law, the commands of God. That's where Moses received the Ten Commandments and all other kinds of of things that they were to observe and uphold. It was also had an agricultural purpose. As I said, it signified God's blessing of the grain harvest as they brought their first fruits to the Lord. But historically, it was associated with Mount Sinai and the giving of the law and the commands. Now, if you go to Exodus chapter 20, second book of the Bible, chapter 20, you begin to read about where God begins to give Moses the law on Mount Sinai. And so they're at Mount Sinai. Moses ascends the mountain. Um, God gives them the the law of the covenant, this agreement God made with them that if they would keep these laws, then God, um, they would be God's people. He would be their God. Um, This was how they would have relationship with him is by keeping these laws. And so you go to Exodus chapter 20. Well, Moses is up on the mountain for a while. It's not something where um, he just went up, came back down with tablets. He was there for a little while. And this time where we're talking about of Pentecost in Jewish tradition, Pentecost was thought of as the time when God gave Moses that loss. So as Moses is on Mount Sinai, the Jews look back and they, they, they said this was on the day of Pentecost that we received the law. Now Moses is on the mountain, he gets the 10 commandments, but like I said, if you go and look, let's, let's go to Exodus. If you go look at Exodus chapter 20 and you just go to your, in your Bible and um, you start flipping to the right, just start flipping. If you got one of those big study Bibles with large print, then you know, you've got a Bible that's about this thick, so it's going to take you a while to flip through all of the instructions that Moses received. But keep flipping there until you get to Exodus chapter 32. Now all of those chapters from 20 to 32 it represents the time that Moses was on the mountain with God. This time that the Jews saw as this, this time of Pentecost. This, this day of Pentecost was when he received the actual law, the Ten Commandments. And so Moses is up there. But what begins to happen is as Moses is up there meeting with God, getting the law, God is giving him these things. Um, the people on, on, down at the bottom, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they begin to get a little antsy. Moses is gone for a while. They even say that, they say, like, look, he's been gone. We don't even know what happened to him. And they look at Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, Aaron, make us a God. Isn't it crazy that people think you can make a God? Like worshiping something we create as a God, like not much of a God. But anyway, so Aaron, kind of in fear of the people, he says, give me all your earrings, all your jewelry. They give them to him um, he puts it in the fire, he, then he takes it, he fashions it into a golden calf, um, and he sets it before him and he's like, look, this is our God. Well, they begin to worship it, they, they begin to basically fall into a bunch of pagan practices with it. Um, they behold it as even saying that this is the God who brought us out of, out of Egypt out of the bondage and slavery in Egypt, they begin to worship this calf and, and, and then God speaks to Moses and Moses um, begins to come back down the mountain. When he sees it, he literally like drops the tablets with the commandments and they break. He comes down and it's literally chaos, it's chaos. And so he goes to Aaron he says, Aaron, how could you do this? And Aaron, Aaron says this, he goes, Moses, I just took their jewelry. I threw it in the fire, and a golden calf came out. Yet the Bible tells us he fashioned it with a tool, right? He made it into something. But he's like, "Hey, hey, uh, Moses, it ain't my fault, dude. They gave me jewelry. I threw it in the fire. Poop. Here comes this calf." And so Moses, you know, he's not buying it. But listen to verse twenty-five in Exodus thirty-two. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so becoming a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Here's such an awesome opportunity for repentance. They're, they're sinning, they're rebelling against God and yet God, even through Moses, gives them this opportunity of repentance. If you're for the Lord, come to me. Hey, I'm back. If you're for the Lord, come to me. So he stood at the entrance of the camp. Whoever's for the Lord, come to me. And all the Israelites, these were the priests of Israel, the, the tribe that, that God had, had made priest, rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp, from one end of the camp, uh, or one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. God's judgment fell on the camp of Israel. They didn't want to repent, so God's judgment fell. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen today? Like if you walk in and I've got a sword strapped to my side, you need to run. And so we see that the day that, the time that the law was given, this time that the Jews look back at on Pentecost, on that day, that, 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 it really shows us like the inability of man to obey the laws of God, to even for a, for a little small you know, amount of time to just stay faithful to the Lord, right? Moses is up there meeting with God and they can't even control themselves for that little bit of time. Moses comes down, 3,000 of them are killed. No one wants to repent except to leave it. So they, <clears throat> Wipe them out. And it made me think about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, where Paul, as he's kind of defending his ministry as he's writing to these Corinthians, he tells us this. He says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And, and I have to think, Paul versed in the Old Testament as he was, that he may have been thinking back to Exodus chapter 32, to what happened at Mount Sinai when the law was given and 3,000 people died. It shows God's judgment, our inability to keep the law of God. When you look back at Acts, I wanna just show you a few things here. We see where Pentecost represents the giving of the law, and when the law was given, it was a catastrophe for the people. The law was perfect, but our, our inability, the weakness of the law is our inability. If you look now at verse 2 it says suddenly as they're all together on this day of pentecost this festival this time where they're celebrating this jewish festival suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting just like pentecost had old testament meaning um, wind had old testament meaning wind has New Testament meaning, but most of it is derived from the Old Testament. If you look back through the Old Testament, um, wind often symbolized uh, breath. It symbolized spirit. Um, The word for wind was also the same word for breath and spirit. And and so when you read about the wind, it it was synonymous in many Jewish minds of breath, of life, of the spirit, of um, a spirit, of literal wind that you feel and is powerful. And so when the Spirit of God comes, it's a blowing, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. It doesn't say it is a blowing of a violent sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Now, when you look back in the Old Testament, you begin to see that the wind, the breath um, of God, the Spirit of God is, is there to give life. If you go and you look at an Old Testament prophet by the name of Ezekiel, and you go to Ezekiel chapter 20, or chapter 36, and you begin to read about, about verse 24 on down. What you find is that God promises that in the day that there is a day to come, he's gonna put his spirit in us. He's gonna bring us to life. He's going to change our hearts and give us a new heart, a heart in which his law, his covenant, his commands are written on our heart, no longer written on stone, right? He promises this, that he will cleanse us from our sin. There's gonna be a covenant that comes that can actually cleanse you. There's gonna be a way I relate to you that can actually cleanse you. I'm gonna sprinkle you with clean water. I'm gonna put my spirit in you. I'm gonna give you a new heart. I'm gonna move you to follow my decrees. And when we look at this, um, the day of Pentecost is that day when God promises in Ezekiel 36 that I'm going to do this. The spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God comes into that room with power. You go to Ezekiel 36, and it's kind of an illustration of what God promises us in Ezekiel, or or Ezekiel 37 is an illustration of what God promises us in Ezekiel 36. He tells us, I'm gonna put my spirit in you. I'm gonna bring you to life. I'm gonna write my commands in your heart. I'm gonna move you to follow my decrees. And Ezekiel 37 is, is the famous passage about the dry bones. And Ezekiel is led out into this valley and it says, the Lord leads him to walk back and forth across these dry bones. And then he begins to tell Ezekiel, he says, begin to prophesy to the bones. Would you not feel weird? First of all, I'm creeped out, I'm walking on skeletons. Cause this is this vast army that's been slain. This, 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 these people who are just dead in this valley and he's walking back and forth and the Lord says, Ezekiel begin to prophesy to the bones. Begin to prophesy to the bones. And he begins to say the things that the Lord said. He begins to hear a rattling and it says that the bones begin to come together and then there's tendons and then he begins to create them into people. But the problem is that there's no breath in them. So he tells Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? He said, begin to prophesy to the breath. The same word, ruach for wind, breath, spirit. Begin to prophesy to the breath. And he says, "Prophesy to the four winds that they would come and the wind would blow and and breath would enter them. And he begins to prophesy to the bones. He begins to speak to the bones and the wind begins to come into them. The breath begins to come into them. And he says, he raises them up as a vast army. And this is, listen, this is what the intent is on the day of Pentecost. That the wind of God begins to fill the room So that Ezekiel 36 is fulfilled, that they begin to, to, the breath of God begins to enter them, that the life of God begins to enter them, their hearts are are changed, the word of God is written on their hearts, and they begin to be moved to follow God. I believe the church is in such an awesome position right now. If we could only realize that the day of Pentecost, that experience of Pentecost, while some of the events may have been somewhat unique, the experience of the power of God and intimacy with God should not. And if the church would grab hold of that and not settle for just some religious uh, movement, some religious activity we would really press into god i believe the spirit of god will once again begin to revive the church and a vast army would be raised up to make a difference in our communities in our nation in the world he talks about the wind he talks about the fire in the old testament fire has the power um Or or, or it it tells us about the presence of God. Even at Mount Sinai, it says that God descended on the mountain in a fire. It it symbolized the presence of God. It was in a fire that God spoke out of um, the bush to Moses. It symbolized his presence. So again, we read about this in verse three where uh, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus told them. Look, I'm gonna send back the Spirit and he'll dwell with you forever. It's the prophes- fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Old Testament where God promised that he would come to us in a new covenant. It's what Jesus said when he said, it's better for you that I go away so that I can send back the spirit. And here's the incredible thing, guys, is that God's presence, the fire of God can be so consuming. It can also represent purity and begin to purify our life. It, it represents relationship and intimacy. When we were living uh, out in Middle Ground, a little community out north of Statesboro, one time I burned off some pine straw in our backyard. I didn't know that there was old pine straw there too, like it was an old flower bed. And so I burned it off. And when I did that, um, I thought it was out it wasn't. Um, the embers of what had burned just kind of sank down into that old pine straw. The next day we'd gone to church and, um, came home. We were napping on the couch and it was a windy day. Didn't think much about it. And, uh, we get a knock on the door. Susan and I were actually asleep on the couch and we get a knock on the door. One of our neighbors is standing there. He goes, I don't know if you know it or not, but your backyard's on fire. I looked out the back door and like flames were shooting like 30 feet up the pine trees in the backyard. And so I immediately go and, and, and I'm like, Susan, give me some shoes. I'm in a white t-shirt and shorts and I don't even have shoes on. I'm taking the hose pipe down there. I'm about to fight this forest fire, like, you know, Smokey the Bear or something. And I get down there and a neighbor comes over there with his hose and we're, you know, we finally get it. But Susan brings me some bedroom shoes. So I jump the fence to get to where the worst of the fire was. You know, coals go down into my shoes, so now my feet are on fire, and so it was a mess. But what happened in that was that, the, that fire had burned down into this, this pine straw, but the wind kept blowing across it. The wind kept blowing across it, and pretty soon it caught back up, and it began to burn, and pretty soon it spread. I mean, it's literally, I'm not kidding when I say it's 30, 40 feet up, these huge pine trees in my backyard. And I thought about that and how the day of Pentecost is so much like that. It's like God had planted this this flame in their heart And yet on the day of Pentecost, the wind began to blow, the wind of the spirit began to blow and and it took that little flame and it blew it up into this roaring fire that consumed their life and consumed their focus and consumed their their, their direction. And pretty soon this this all-consuming fire that is our God began to stir them, to move them, to carry out the purpose, to live for him, to love him. Guys, that's what we need again in the church. The fact that the church is not seen as, as a flaming fire to the world around us that, that provides light, that provides um, uh, you know, this attraction, this, this, this fervor, this excitement, it's not because the Spirit's not willing. So the wind and the fire. And there's so much in this, guys, I, I can't even... Begin today. We'll drop back, catch some of it as we move forward next week. But I told you this at the beginning. There were two purposes for Pentecost. One was historical. Pentecost represented the giving of the law. The day the law was given, 3,000 people died. The wind represented uh, the power, the breath, the life of God. And he promised that there would come a day when he made a new covenant with us, that through this covenant, um, we would become his people. Now it's not by works, it's not by obedience to the law, it's by faith, by trust in Jesus. And so we look at Pentecost and it's that day, that fulfillment of that historical aspect of what God had promised, but also told you that it was agricultural. It represented the grain harvest, the first fruits, the the celebration of God's blessing of the nation of Israel with another harvest. And so they would celebrate this. The men would all go to Jerusalem and this was a a feast of celebration. I want to tell you this in closing. It, It was not coincidence that on the day of Pentecost that represented the giving of the law, that represented the harvest of grain, that when the Spirit of God came, blew across this flame that was in the disciples' hearts, blew it into a fire, anointed them for ministry, that Peter in verse 14 stood up and began to preach a message to these people about the gospel, about Jesus, about the forgiveness of sins. And as he began to p- preach this message, that fire began to spread from him to other people and they get cut in the heart. It says literally they're pissed in the heart and they say this to Peter, they say, what shall we do? And he says, Repent and be baptized. And if you go down to verse 40 and 41, it tells us this that it says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. In other words, repent, turn back to God. This is the day ye promised, turn back. And it says this those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Y'all think that's coincidence? That in the time that the law was given, 3,000 people died. Why? Because the letter kills. But on the day that the Spirit was given, 3,000 people came to life because the Spirit gives life. Is that not incredible? And those 3,000 souls that were saved during a festival that celebrated the first fruits of the grain harvest, those 3,000 souls were the first fruits of billions that would hear the same message and come to faith in Christ and come alive in Jesus and be given a new heart and be having the, the, the commandments written on their hearts to be moved to follow God's decrees, to be moved to follow Jesus, to have their eternity set in heaven, to become worshipers and followers of God. They were the first fruits of billions that since that time would come and say, I trust in Christ for salvation. The day of Pentecost was the beginning of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. The day of Pentecost was the day for new birth in Christ. And I can tell you this people, just as our physical bodies are dead without breath, our spiritual lives are dead apart from the spirit. And I don't know about you, but I am very thankful for the spirit. I'm very thankful that I was able to be brought into the harvest for Christ. And some of you may not have had that happen yet. Your your life is still stuck in this religious mindset, this religious burdensome type thing and that's not what God intended it to be. And God offers life. The power of the Spirit of God. Listen, we may not sit here today and hear a sound like the Russian wind. I may not see tongues, you know, fire split and tongues, fire sitting on everybody's head. But I can tell you this, the power of the Spirit is still the same. And for many of us today, we need to begin to press into God and, and ask and thank him for stirring that flame in our hearts. But for some of us today, we may need to be a part of the harvest. I wanna give you an opportunity before we pray and dismiss that if you've never done that, you've never said yes to Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never allowed his sacrifice to take your sin, to, take, to, to, to be um, a point of faith and trust for you. Never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Never submitted your life to him as Lord. I'm not talking about just, you know, going to church and going through the motions. I'm talking about surrendering your life to Jesus. You may have been baptized, but guess what? Listen, if you were baptized and it wasn't because of faith in Christ and you just got baptized because that's the thing that you were supposed to do, listen, you're just a wet sinner going to hell. I don't know how any way to put that, right? Because water don't save you, faith in Jesus does. And so maybe today you recognize this. Maybe today the Spirit, the same Spirit that moved on the day of Pentecost, that filled these first believers on the day of Pentecost, maybe He is drawing you to Him, to Christ, to the Father. There's one name by which we may be saved and that's the name of Jesus. So if you've never said yes to Christ, you've never submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus, but today the Lord is telling you, today is the day I'm drawing, I'm pulling you. And listen, it's time for you to respond to that. Then right here, right now, look, you submit, you surrender. And we're gonna do that today, this morning. I'm gonna ask you to be bold and and, and to take that step of faith. Look, standing up, waving your hand in the air, that doesn't save you. It's faith. But you need to take a step of faith, acknowledge Christ before man, and begin to walk a new journey with Jesus. And so, if you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, but God is drawing you into that right now. And you say, It's time for me to surrender my life to Jesus, the Lord of my life, the Savior of my life. And I'm going to ask you to be very, very, very bold right now. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Would you stand? We need to understand this. This is a time of repentance and it's not something to be ashamed of. This is something we should celebrate as people. And if the Lord is stirring in your heart today, that this is what he's calling you to. we're not gonna be ashamed of that. So you stand to your feet and you say today, I'm choosing to follow Christ because the spirit has opened my eyes to see who he is. It's awkward, doesn't it? It's okay. All right, we're gonna pray. I wanna pray for us that the wind of the Spirit would blow on us and that we would be filled with the fire of God's love and passion. Father, I thank you for this time this stay. I thank you for the love that you've poured into our hearts, Father. Would you, once again, send your Spirit, send your Holy Spirit um, to blow in our hearts, Lord. For some of us, that flame has dwindled, but God, right even right now, we need another suddenly, God. It says suddenly, a sound like a violent wind came from heaven. Lord, would you do another suddenly in our life, Lord, that sets our hearts on fire for you, that directs our, our hearts to you, that we would become worshipers of you, God, that we would um, not, not shrink back, but we would be people who are given courage and boldness to press forward. God, we just thank you for that. I thank you for it now. Your word tells us that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, you give him to us more and more and more. Um, liberally, generously, God, you do not hold back from your children. So I thank you even now for what you're doing what you're going to do through the power of your spirit in us, in your church, in this fellowship of believers, God, we love you and thank you for it. Thank you that we get to be a part of your harvest, that we can have the joy of salvation in Christ because our names are written in the book of heaven. We thank you for that, God, that we know you and have life in you and we praise you for it today and always, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.